The title of this message is Faith That Works. Faith That Works. James chapter 2, 14. Let's read in our Bibles here. You silently, and I'll be reading out loud from the English Standard Version. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Verse 17 of James 2, so also... Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James responding to that someone, all right, buddy, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Continuing to speak to this person You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says... Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Verse 24. Perhaps one of the most controversial verses in the Bible. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, So also faith, apart from works, is dead. Lord, help me to preach your word the way you want it preached, the truth you want delivered, Father. And by your spirit, oh, Father, open the ears of those who are hearing, even those that have dead faith. Make it alive today. Lord, build your church. Sanctify your people. Bring glory to your name, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. To heaven on a bike. He was born to ride, and that's how his family sent him to meet his maker. After 22-year-old David Morales Colon was murdered, his family enlisted the help of Marin Funeral Home in San Juan, Puerto Rico, to make his wake a tribute to his life's passion, motorcycling. You see, Colon's body was embalmed, dressed in shades, blue jeans, and a happening long-sleeve shirt, and set astride his Honda CBR 600 for the duration of his three-day wake. You see, folks, in this message, James is comparing a dead faith, much like Mr. Cologne, looking good on his Honda CBR 600 on the outside, but very much dead on the inside. Comparing that kind of faith that has no works with faith that is alive, that produces works. That is what God is doing this morning through James. That is what God is doing in your heart this morning. God wants to speak to you, have a conversation to you, with you, through this text. He wants to say this to you. Does your faith make a difference in your life? Is your faith a living faith that saves and justifies? If it is, it will change how you live. It will produce good works in you. If it's not, if it's a dead faith and you're just posing on your Honda CBR 600, metaphorically speaking, but dead inside then God wants to address you. He wants to say, I can give you a living faith. It's not a bogus faith. I can give you a faith that exercises itself in good works. And that's the very proposition of this 
sermon. If you received a copy of the notes, you'll see that right there at the top it says, Exercise Faith That Works. Exercise Faith That Works. Exercise Faith That Works. And, and as, you, as you listen to this message, I just want to say something. There's some of you this morning that this message is going to impact pretty directly. Uh, it may actually bring very deep conviction. I pray it does. You're posing on your Honda CBR 600. You're looking good on the outside. And you're dead on the inside. Your life, your faith doesn't make any difference. You come here and pose on Sunday morning. But you go the rest of your week and live as if you didn't believe. You don't serve. You don't give. You live the way you want to live. This, this message is going to impact you, I pray. I pray come in like a, like a Honda CBR 600 right into your life at about 90 miles an hour, and you, ah! and repent, and repent. But there's a ton of you here this morning that I want to commend, because you know what? You don't come to Palm Vista like the Marine funeral home posing on your Honda CBR 600. You come to Palm Vista like a gymnasium and work and exercise your faith. Thank you, as I'm looking at men and women here that give of your time, of your... You serve. You give your lives. You serve in the children's ministry. You give your finances. You come to home group, even when you don't want to, and you share your life. You buy 50 pounds of meat to cook for guys at softball games. I'm really mad I, wasn't, I didn't stay for that, all right, Caesar? I just want you to know that. You give financially so that I can go to Cuba tomorrow and, and, and equip pastors. I just want to say, can I say thank you? Okay? So in this message, there might be a portion of this message that does touch you because all of our faith sometimes kind of starts dying a little bit in a certain area. And the way you know it is you stop doing the things you used to do. Okay? So, but can I commend the bulk of you in this church? Thank you. This is a church with living faith. Thank you. Can you receive that from the Lord? All right. All right, great. I'm glad you can receive that. Now, back to the message. <laughs> you see, in this message in James, which is very controversial, because in this message in James, James seems to say that you're justified by works and not by faith alone. And Paul definitely says, and the, and the Bible really says, and Genesis says that you're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. So what are we going to do with that? Well, stay tuned. <laughs> James is not contrasting faith with works here. He's not saying either faith or works here. You know what he's contrasting? He's contrasting a bogus faith that has you posing on your Honda CBR 600. Versus a living faith that produces in you works, amazing works, sacrificial works, works of faith and courage for the gospel. You get that? Two faiths are being contrasted. A living faith that produces works and a dead faith that just poses. Okay? All right. That's important. Because, by the way, this follows right on the heels of what we've been hearing in James. Do you remember James 1.21? James 1.22, excuse me, says, Be doers of the word. Turn in your Bibles there. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. James is on the hunt, man. Actually, God's on the hunt, man. He's on the hunt for your heart. He's on the hunt for your heart to tell you that I'm going to give you the grace to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. James 1.22. This is in that line. It's also in the line of James 2.12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So speak and so act as those who are going to be judged under the law of liberty. James is saying, if you have real faith in Christ alone, that real faith in Christ alone will not remain alone. It will produce works. And one day you will be judged by those works you produce or don't produce. It's the faith that justifies you, but the faith that justifies you, faith alone and Christ alone does not remain alone. It produces works. And one day you're going to stand before God and be judged by your works. Not for salvation, because that's in Christ. 
But those works will be just. And if you are truly saved, the verification of a saving faith is good works. So that begs the question. Where are your good works? Does your faith make a difference in your life? God's asking you that question. So connect the two. God wants you to exercise faith that works. That's the theme of this message. Exercise faith that works. Faith that results in good works. Two points. Two points. Point number one. Faith and works are inseparable. Faith and works are inseparable. And point number two. Genuine faith produces godly works. Genuine faith produces godly works. Point number one. Faith and works are inseparable. Look at verse James 2.14, please, for a moment. James 2.14. James begins with a question. It's actually a question that we should all have. It's an eternal question. Corey spoke of eternity and the fleeting nature of this world. This is a question that all of us should be asking ourselves. It's about the kind of faith that saves us. So James says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Boom. Questions on the table. Now, the answers to those questions are, of course, it is no good if someone says he has faith without works. And no, that faith cannot save him. Now, he again, we're not comparing faith and works. It's not either or on faith and works. We're comparing true faith, genuine faith, bogus faith. That's what we're comparing. Faith and works aren't to be compared in contrast. It's not either or, it's both and. Now, tomorrow I fly to Cuba, okay? And uh, I get to go this time with a brand new friend, a guy named Juan Sanchez. Juan Sanchez is the pastor of High Point Baptist Church in Austin, Texas, of all places. And uh, I get, I've begun to have a relationship here with Juan, professional. We're, we're getting together. We're going to partner together to teach Cuban pastors, how to preach expository sermons. What's an expository sermon? It's what I'm doing right now. It's where you get the Bible and you exposit it. You, you, you speak it, the meaning of it, hopefully by the Spirit of God, oh Lord, help me, and it's accurate. <laughs> and people go, yeah, and it's compelling and it's memorable, and people walk away and they apply it in their lives. That's an expository sermon. That's what I'm doing right now. So we're going to go do that to a bunch of pastors in Cuba. Now, Juan and I have a similar background. We're both... Hispanics who grew up in the United States. But big difference is my friend Juan is a Boricua. He's Puerto Rican. And I am from Cuban family. And it just reminded me of something, a saying that I once heard about Cuba and Puerto Rico. The saying was penned by a Puerto Rican poet named Lola Rodriguez de Tio. I'm going to say it in Spanish first and then I'll translate it. Cuba y Puerto Rico, de un pájaro las dos alas. Cuba and Puerto Rico, the two wings of a single bird. The two wings of a single bird. See, the two wings of a single bird, that's the relationship that God wants us to see between faith and works. That's what this first point is. Faith and works are inseparable. Inseparable. They're the two wings of a single bird. Both are necessary for the bird to fly. We're that bird, dear friends. And God tells us that faith and works are inseparable in our lives. Faith alone, in Christ alone, saves us. But the faith that saves us does not remain alone. It produces works. True saving faith produces works that honor God. Faith cannot function without works. The bird cannot fly without both wings. Now, in order to make this point, James introduces a hypothetical situation. Look at verse 15. Everybody turn to James 2.15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And what's the answer? It's no good. So also. Now catch that. So also. Please catch that. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have good works, is dead. Dead. 
dead. The word there in Greek is nekros. Have you ever heard of the word necromancy? Necromancy is the forbidden art of contacting the dead to try to find out your future or someone else's future. See, see what this passage is all about, it's about, it's about the one, the necromancer of dead souls, Satan, deceiving you that your faith might be alive when it's actually dead. And the way you know it's dead is it doesn't produce any good works. We should all be sitting up real straight right now listening to that one. You see, you got two believers. When it says brother and sister there, it's a believer. They come to church. They're obviously not clothed well. They're obviously not eating well. And you say, hey, bro, love you, man. Lord bless you, man. Hope you make your bus down on the corner there of Miami Lakeway North, man. I'm going over to, I'm going over to Chili's for lunch. We'll see you, bro. And James says, what good is it to them that you said love you, man? Zero. They would like some clothing so they don't come to church embarrassed. This is actually happening, by the way. And they would like some food so that they can eat. So, so what is being said here? Well, what's being said here is the very theme of the passage, that faith without works is dead. Three times we're going to see in this passage a similar verbiage. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is useless. At the very end, just like the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. That's the theme of this passage. Now, again, I can't miss this opportunity to commend My friends, so many of you have a living faith. So many of you have given to clothe people without proper clothing, to feed people without proper food. If you don't know about this, we have a benevolence fund, and there are people that give to that, and we get the privilege of bringing checks to people that are out of work. We had a a young woman who's just coming to the Lord. I don't believe she's here today. She uh, became pregnant out of wedlock, helping her, having a shower for her. People out of their own money, above and beyond the money that tithes and offerings they would get here. So church, thank you. Know that that's, that's the product of a faith that saves. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, Jim preached last week that if you're a believer, you will love others as God has loved us. You do that. You love sacrificially. You initiate. You participate in others' lives. You're participating in things. You serve. Let me just give you one example of that. I was sent an email recently from a visitor we had. And he said this, Dear Al, first of all, I had a great time last weekend from the moment I arrived until Sunday morning. One of the most memorable parts of the weekend was experiencing the love and community that your church family exhibited. See, that's what he's talking about. Faith that produces the works that you're involved, that you're meeting with people, that you're wanting to grow in Christ, that you're serving in your home groups, you're serving on Sunday mornings, you're working in the children's ministry, you're helping set up faith and works. That's the sign of a living faith. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, back to our text. There's someone that James is going to introduce that's going to disagree with James. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. The very first part of the verse. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James introduces an imaginary opponent. And this imaginary opponent says, you know what, James? Faith and works can can, uh, exist independent of each other. And now James is going to launch off into this guy's face. Okay, I think James might have come from South Florida. I'm not sure. He, he gets up in this guy's face right now. Okay, get ready for this. Well, by the way, the reason he does is because this guy is introducing something very unique. Okay, in all the history of the whole earth, you know what this guy's introducing? A one-winged bird that can fly. And James is going, uh, excuse me, that doesn't fly. Literally metaphorically, theologically, any way you want, okay? He's saying, dude, you cannot have them separate, just like you can't have a bird that only has one wing and actually fly. So listen to how he does it. Look at verse 
second part of uh, verse 18. Now, this is the first part of 18 is the guy saying, hey, you got your faith, I got your, my works, they're separate. Second part of verse 18 is James responding to the guy. Show me your faith, dude, apart from your works. By the way, not possible. Earlier, he made that point, right? Not possible. And I'll show you my faith by my works. James challenges this guy. He says, there's no way it's impossible for you to show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. And then, and then he, go, he, he really takes this guy to the mat in 19. And you know what he basically says to the guy in 19? You know what kind of faith you have? You have demon faith. <laughs> I mean, he's throwing down on this guy. I mean, I don't, they might have gotten a fight afterwards. I'm not sure, okay? Maybe not, because, you know, guys didn't get in fights back then. But he's throwing down on the guy. Look at 19. He said, okay, so you got a faith that doesn't produce any works, and you think that's cool? You just have a mental assent that God exists, and so that's what's going to uh, guide your life? Oh, really? Well, let me tell you something, pal. You believe that God is one? That's the ancient Shema Israel. Remember, this letter is probably written to Jewish Christians. So he would have known the Shema Israel. This is the great confession. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, you believe that. Great, you do well. Guess what? Demons believe it and shudder. Friends, there are no atheist demons. Just foolish humans. See, demons know there's a God. And they shudder that one day they're going to have to stand before that God because they know the day of judgment is coming. So they're wreaking havoc until that day. But my friend... What James would say to this guy and to you and me, that doesn't mean that they're saved because they mentally assent or, quote, believe in God, because that faith doesn't impact their daily life. That faith doesn't result in obedience to God. Remember, they're demons because they rebelled. How about you? Looking all pretty on your Honda CBR 600. I believe in God. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Great. So do the demons. Does it affect how you live? Who you love? Who you serve? Who you obey? If it doesn't, then it's as useless as the guy that says to his buddy, be warmed and filled. It's as useless as demons' faith. They don't get saved, friend. On the judgment day, they get judged. This is serious stuff that James is speaking. If your faith is dead and producing no works, it is God's gift if you would begin to shudder right now like those demons do. The difference between you and a demon is the demon can't get saved. By definition, you can repent. What you do matters. What you do matters. Now look at verse 20. <laughs> to finish this little conflict with this imaginary opponent, James says the following, Do you want me, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James, James here says, you're just an empty suit. That word foolish in the Greek, it literally means an empty vessel, empty. You're an empty suit, man. You're a poser. You want me to show you that faith without works is useless? This is actually a beautiful play on words in the Greek. Because the Greek word for works is erga, and the re Greek word for useless is argos. So basically what he's saying is, hey, listen, would you like me to show you that faith that doesn't work doesn't work? Here it is. James is now going to declare that faith and works are inseparable, that you cannot separate them, or you will do violence to the person who holds them, just like the two wings of a bird are inseparable, and you cannot separate those two wings without doing violence to the bird. In order to fly, the bird has to have both. In order for us to fly spiritually and grow spiritually, we've got to have both. So, when we come to the end of this first section... Remember James' initial question in verse 14. What was it? If your faith does not do 
the works commensurate with it? Can it save you? The answer is no, it can't. It's fool's gold and useless. My prayer this morning to you, unbeliever, to you, poser, is that God would come right now and give you a holy shuddering and unlike the demons, the ability to repent and to put your faith, that God can give you a living faith and that it can matter in what you do, how you spend your money, your time, your talents, that you stop living just for you and your kingdom and you begin to live for Christ and his because one day you'll stand before him and he will judge you. But he's, he's offering that to you right now. Oh, hear and repent. Dear unbeliever who's here. By the way, thank you for being here. All right, point two. If point one is that faith and works are inseparable, then point two is this. Genuine faith produces good works. Genuine faith produces good works. Again, James is not contrasting faith and works. He's contrasting genuine faith and bogus faith. He's introducing now to us two Old Testament figures as a case study to show that genuine faith produces godly works. Let's read together. Look at verse 21 of James 2. Verse 21 of James 2. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, that, that's the most controversial passage in scripture. Many a theologian has pulled his hair out on that one. Because that, that co- seemingly contradicts, flies in the faith face of what Paul says, that we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone and not by works. Okay? Hopefully we'll explain that before we're done here. Verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So we have two Old Testament figures here that are brought up as case studies to prove to us that faith without works is dead. And these two figures couldn't be more different. Abraham, he was a patriarch. Rahab, she was a prostitute. Abraham was moral. Rahab, she was immoral. Abraham was a Jew. Rahab, she was a Gentile. Abraham was upwardly mobile. Rahab, she lived in the gutter. But... What they shared in common was far greater than their differences socioeconomically, religiously, culturally. They shared a faith that worked, a faith that justified them. A faith that justified them, and that justification was borne testimony to by the works they did. They were saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But that salvation and that faith was exhibited in in works of obedience that they did in extraordinary circumstances. We learn from Rahab and Abraham the following, in your notes, we are justified by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. We are justified by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. It takes a patriarch and a prostitute to teach us that genuine biblical faith that saves is characterized by works. They teach us the difference between a defective faith that has no works and a genuine faith that produces works. Now let's take a look at Abraham. Go back to verse 21. Let's read verses 21 through 23 again. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his word works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Okay. On the surface, that appears to be saying the very opposite of what we believe, which is you're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. But, as Inigo Montoya would say, let me explain. You ready? Okay. First, we have to ask ourselves a question. Why did God choose to highlight two instances in Abraham's life to teach us that faith without works is dead? 
We have to go back to those instances. Okay? So you can jot these two scriptures down. Jot down Genesis 22. Genesis 22. It's talking about Isaac. And then jot down Genesis 15.6. Genesis 15.6. That's the quote that James quotes there in James 2.23 when he says that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. So let me see if I can explain to you what's going on here. James is saying this. Abraham is a picture of faith without works is dead. And he says that what Abraham did in Genesis 22 as a 110-year-old man with a 12-year-old son named Isaac validated the very confession of faith that he gave in Genesis 15.6 as a 80-year-old man. So what he's saying is, in, G- in, in James 2.21, wasn't Abraham justified by works when he offered Isaac on the altar? That's a, that's a direct reference to Genesis 22. 110-year-old Abraham offering 12-year-old Isaac. If you're, not, if you're not familiar with that story, let me just fill it in very briefly. Abraham is told by God, take your son Isaac, go up to a mountain, lay him on an altar, and offer him as a burnt offering. This is the son of promise. This is the son that God promised Abraham way back in Genesis 15, 6, when Abraham was an 80-year-old man. So Abraham, 80-year-old man, receives a promise. You're going to have a son. Abraham, as a 100-year-old man, has that son. His wife, her, his wife was 90. That's a miracle. And then about 10 to 12 years later, he's walking around with his son, and God one day says, Abraham, I'd like you to kill him. James says that faith justified him. He says that. So what's he saying? Well, if you look carefully at James, he says in verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this is what he's saying. What Abraham did in chapter 22 at 110 simply confirmed the initial faith that Abraham had at 80 to justify him. So what James is saying is, you're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. See, James is not talking about the initial justification before you're a believer, before you come to Christ. James is talking about the justification of after you're a believer, that the acts, the good deeds, the good works you do, verifies the faith that you had that God gave you in Christ alone on the front end. That's what this teaches. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 tells you that. You see that faith was active along with his words. Do you see that? Faith was active with his works. The works didn't save Abraham. It's clear. Listen, guys. Mark this down. Mark it down. Genesis 15, 6. It's the first time the word believe is used in the Bible. Latin term here. I love to use Latin terms. Makes me seem so intelligent when I'm so stupid. Uh, It's the locus classicus. Doesn't that feel good? Locus classicus. Hey, what's the locus classicus of faith? It's Genesis 15.6. Genesis 15.6 is the place you go if you want to teach that that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone. Genesis 15.6 is what gets quoted all through Scripture. For example, when Paul, jot this down as well, when Paul... When Paul tells you in Romans 4.3, write down Romans 4.3, no time to go there. I knew this, would, this sermon would be too long, but that's all right, it's worth it. Rome, this is like a two-hour version of 24, okay? You got the one-hour version, but man, you got the two-hour. This is a two-hour version, all right? Stay with it. Jack's going to kill some bad guys. Okay, so James, listen, where am I? I don't know. I hate it when I do this. Thank you. Romans 4.3. And you guys are paying attention. <laughs> Romans 4.3. Okay? Paul quotes Genesis 15.6. And you know, you know how he uses that quote? The Bible says that you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. 
Write down Romans 4.9. He does the same thing. Romans 4.9. Romans 4.22. He does the same thing. Romans 4.22. Galatians 3.6. Even Galatians 3.6. Paul quotes Genesis 15.6 and says, it is by faith alone in Christ alone. So when James uses Genesis 15.6 in James 2.23 and says that, James 2, that, James, that uh, Genesis 15.6 is fulfilled by the good works that that. Abraham did in Genesis 22 when he offered Isaac. When, when James is doing that, he's not saying faith or works. He's saying faith and works. Not for salvation, but for the full orb bird to fly. When you're saved, it's only faith. Faith alone. Scripture teaches that. But the faith that saves you, faith alone in Christ alone, doesn't remain alone because 30 years later, and by the way, Abraham had 30 years of obedience to God. Not perfect. I mean, he did some things in there. But 30 years of walking with God. And 30 years later, okay, you're on the other end of it. He's justified by his works. Not in the same way that he was justified in Genesis 15, 6. That was initial. That was God. That was, that was faith alone in Christ alone. But now, his works testify to the faith. Oh, oh, Abraham. In fact, if you go back and read Genesis 22, God says, Abraham, now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you fear me because you offer your son the most precious thing in your life, the son that you waited over 30 years for. God gave Abraham a promise when he was 70 that he'd have a son. That son wasn't born until Abraham was 100. Abraham is walking with his son for 12 years. He's 112 years old. And God says, the promise that I gave you, kill it. You want to know if you have living faith? Do you give God your most precious possession, your most precious dream, your most precious hope, your most precious relationship? If you hold it back, that's not saving faith. You're posing as a dead person on a Honda CBR 600, looking good. No life. No life. No life. That's what James is teaching us. In 23, when it, says, when it says that it was fulfilled, that Abraham was counted as righteous, Genesis 15, 6, by what Abraham did in Genesis 22, it's saying that. I hope you get that. I hope you get that. Thank you, Lord, for helping me with that. All right, let's move on to Rahab. Let us move on to Rahab. Rahab as well is going to confirm for us that genuine faith produces works. Genuine faith produces works. What did Rahab do? Rahab, you can jot this down under Rahab, Joshua 2. You can study this later for yourself. Joshua 2. What did Rahab do? Okay. You've got Israel, the people of God, about to enter into the promised land the land that God had promised Abraham. Abraham has been dead now for like a long time, over 400 years. And Israel's finally going into the promised land. And God, God says the first city you're going to take is this impenetrable walled city called Jericho. And I don't want you to take it in the conventional way. You're going to march around that bad boy for seven days singing worship songs. And on the seventh day, you're going to blow a trumpet. I'm going to cause the walls that no one can knock down militarily to fall down. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure, Lord. Spies, come to Jericho and tell Rahab that. Rahab's a Gentile. She's got a choice to make. Who am I going to believe? The walls that I see and the city I live in and my people, because I'm a Gentile, or this good news of a God, and she had heard about this, who delivered these people from Egypt 40 years ago. The good news of a God who sustained them through the desert. I'm looking at two ragamuffin spies in their camouflage, tattered clothing. I'm a prostitute. These are, these are men that aren't after me for what most men are here for. I can see these are, these are different people. And they're saying, don't tell anybody. She goes, you know what? I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe what I can't see instead of what I can. And the Bible says in Joshua 2, 
that God, God saved her. God saved her because it happened just like that. The walls fell down. I don't know how it happened. I mean, when we get to heaven, maybe we'll get a video of it. I'm sure there'll be one. It's going to have to be like way cool because these were big walls, okay? These were massive walls. What a shock to the people in Jericho. Boom, your walls are gone and I am now dead. Everyone was killed except for one person. You know who that was? Actually, one family. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the prostitute. Oh, it gets better than this. Do you know? Do you know that Rahab is in the lineage of Christ? When you go to Matthew 1, jot this down, Matthew 1, 5 and 6, a prostitute is one of Jesus' family members. A a Gentile prostitute. You will find in Matthew 1, 5 and 6 that Rahab was the great, great, great grandmother of King David. Great, great, great grandmother of King David. So what does Rahab teach us? That God justifies us by faith alone, in Christ alone. But that faith is worthless unless we hide the spies, unless we send them off so that they can avoid being detected, unless we say, listen, remember me and my family. And they say, we will remember you, but you know what? So that we remember you because she lived right on the wall. Her window was right off the wall. You have to tie a scarlet thread from your window representing Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was Rahab's hope. Even though she didn't know him yet, he hadn't been revealed yet, she trusted God and she said, my lot's with your people. I'm leaving my people and I'm going to your people. How about you? Where's your lot? Who do you love to be with? Who's your friend? Is your lot with God's people? With the people of Jericho? Do you believe a God you can't see? To give the money you do have for a kingdom you can't see? And look at the walls all around you? Or give your time to what you can see? Or do you say, you know what? I believe you, God. It sounds far-fetched but a group of people that have no weapons will march around this wall and it will fall. That's what Rahab teaches us. All right. Got to go to verse 24. Not going to be able to spend much time there. Got to talk at least about 24. Because sandwiched in between Abraham and Rahab is this verse 24. And we've already kind of talked about it, but I think it's worth talking about some more. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. I believe both Abraham and Rahab are case studies for that verse. They're just on either side of it. Folks, James is not arguing for salvation by works in 24. He simply saw faith and works inseparable. If you notice, if you study carefully, just jot this down. Jot down James 2.24. Romans 3.28. Just jot those down. James 2.24, Romans 3.28. Those are the two verses that if you superimpose them on each other, seem to be saying the diametrically opposed things. James 3.28 seems to be saying you're justified by faith alone in Christ alone, not by works. Excuse me. Romans 3.28 seems to be saying you're justified by faith alone in Christ alone, not by works. And James 2.24 seems to be saying you're justified by works and not by faith alone. But here's the key. James... James is using justification to discuss what occurs after salvation. Genesis 22, offering up Isaac 30-some years after you exhibited faith in Christ. Whereas Paul, in these passages, is using the term justification to discuss what occurs before salvation. See, Paul uses the term justify, to describe how we get into a relationship with God. It's by faith alone and Christ alone. Nothing you can do to earn that relationship. James, James is using the term to describe how we walk in relationship with God and face the final judgment day. See, Paul uses justify denoting God's initial judicial verdict of innocence pronounced over the sinner when he trusts Jesus Christ in faith. James uses justify, denoting the verdict pronounced over a person's life on the last judgment. See, I'm justified by faith alone in Christ alone, but on that last day when I stand before the Lord and there's good works that verify the very faith that justified me, there'll be a justification there. Just like, it just makes sense. I mean, Abraham's faith would have been useless if he had refused to offer up Isaac. Your faith is useless if you refuse to offer up your Isaac. 
It's fool's gold. So there's no real contradiction between James and Paul regarding faith. Kent Hughes says, Paul's teaching about faith and works focuses on the time before conversion. James focuses on the time after conversion. You know what's great news, guys? You know what's great news? It's what we're talking about is friendship with God. I've got to touch upon this just briefly. Look at verse 23. What does it say at the very end of verse 23 when it's talking about Abraham? It says this. And he was called a friend of God. Not only does faith justify me on the front end, faith alone in Christ alone, not only does faith justify me on the day of judgment, when I stand before my Lord, I will be there along with you, and you will be justified, yes, by faith, but also by the works that that faith produced. But between now and then, I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. Are you a friend of God? Well, here's the test. Jot this scripture down. John. John chapter 15. Verses 14 and 15 says this, Jesus speaking, John 15, 14 and 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his, what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. Are you a friend of God or are you a friend of the world? Listen, at the end of this passage in verse 26, once again, he re- reiterates this truth. Look at verse 26 of James 2. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We're, we're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. We're, we're, we're the friends of God, not the friends of the world. There's, this, there's this, this line that's drawn by faith. This line that draws by faith. Real faith produces works. Where are yours? I opened up with an illustration of the Marine funeral home in San Juan. Just imagine us all staring at the dead man posing on his motorcycle. Um, he's there in body, folks, but his spirit, it's long gone. He's not driving out of Marine funeral home, okay? Is your faith alive? Is your faith bearing fruit, active, obedient, exercised in good works? Or are you just posing there in the back? Sitting on your motorcycle, looking good on the outside, but dead on the inside. Is Palm Vista a gymnasium where you come to exercise your faith in good works? Or is it a funeral home where you come to pose a couple of times a month? Oh, friend, the good news, the good news is that one came 2,000 years ago and died on the cross for you to have a living faith marked by works. Jesus didn't give himself on the cross so that you could pose as a dead man or a dead woman. He came to resurrect you to life, to a living faith that produces good works. God's exposing elements of bogus faith in all of us this morning. See, th- this message is for the unbeliever. If that's you, may it, may it affect you. But it's also for the believer. Because, you know, when my faith starts, like, diminishing, I start kind of not doing things I used to do. Maybe it's having devotions with my family. Maybe it's just praying my own self. Maybe it's um, serving in the church, being faithful, being on time going to home group and really participating in faith, uh, giving. It's kind of like I've got these two beautiful Malayan palm trees in my front yard. I love palm trees. Palm Vista. I love palm trees. Okay, that's right. I got to name the church. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) This recent winter was one of the coldest we've ever had. Got into the 30s. I don't know if you've noticed, but many palm trees have died recently. And you know what's happening to my palm tree? The fronds on the outside are turning brown and they're just falling off. You know, that happens to us sometimes. We get a little chill of the soul. It's a fight of faith. We start losing faith. Our faith becomes, it moves from the real living faith that produces works to the dead bogus faith that has us posing on the back of our Honda CBR 600. And you know how you can tell? Some, some palm fronds are getting brown in your life. 
You just don't want a fellowship anymore. I don't want to share. I don't want to share at home group anymore. I just want to pose. I don't want to give anymore. I'm sick of serving in children's ministry. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? What do I get out of it? That's right, nothing. What do the children get out of it? Tons. Are some fronds getting brown in your life? Repent. Come to the Lord. Ask him to give you a living faith. Want to transition? I'd like to do it quietly. Ushers, would you please go ahead and get the elements and bring them down? Folks, can we just transition into communion? As we do that, I'd like to share something with you. When Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac, he was told to go somewhere. Do you know where Abraham was told to go? It's a place called Mount Moriah. Do you know what Mount Moriah is? It's Jerusalem. In 2000 BC, God told Abraham, who is a picture of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, to take his only son, his promised son, and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. And right as Abraham was about to kill his son, and he had already told his son, God will provide the lamb, son. Isaac, climb up on that altar. Obey me. I'm obeying God. I'm trusting that God will raise you from the dead, even if I kill you. Right at the last second, an angel said, stop, Abraham. Stop. I know that you fear me because you've not withheld your most precious possession. And he looked over to his right. Ushers, come on down. And he looked over to his right, and he saw a ram in the thicket. God provided the lamb, but oh friend, that was not the lamb that God would ultimately provide because 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ would be the only begotten son of God, the son of God, who would be offered and no one would step in, no one would say to God, stop, don't drive that stake into his hands or that spear into his side, but he said, I provide the lamb who will bring your dead souls to life. Jesus did not die for opposing fake faith. He died for a living, good works producing faith. Repent. I think some of you have some areas you need to repent in. As do I. Out of this grumbling mouth recently has come unbelief. I'm going to repent during this time. What is God talking to you about? What is he talking to you about? So I'm going to pause for a moment. Ushers, we're going to pray. Go ahead and start distributing the elements. While they're doing that, I'm going to be reading a scripture. And then we'll proceed to worship. Let me just pray. Father, thank you that as these elements are being distributed, if there is someone in this auditorium that does not have faith in you, oh Jesus, that you would show them that their faith, if they thought they had it, is a false faith if it produces no works. And that you would give them grace right now to bow their hearts and their knees to you, the living God. That you would take them from being a corpse, looking good on the outside, but dead on the inside. To a living, breathing man or woman of God. And that faith would produce the good works that you require. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name.